Hello, my name is Aviva Silverman, and I will be having a conversation with Ari Brostoff for the New York City Transoral History Project. This is an oral history project centered on the experiences of trans-identifying people. It's January 2nd, 2023, and it's being recorded in Ridgewood. Hi. Hi. Um, thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. Could you introduce yourself? Sure. Um, I'm Ari Brostoff. And, uh, and where are you coming from tonight? Uh, I live in Crown Heights. I'm oh. coming from therapy in uh, Williamsburg. Wow. Okay. Therapy to the <laughs> interview. Did you um, process or talk about what it would be like to be interviewed? Actually, no. Um, no, but maybe I'll do that later this week. Have you been interviewed um, a lot in your past? Somewhat. Um, I had a book that came out earlier this year. Um, so yeah, I've done interviews around that. And, um, but I also am a journalist and so I'm, uh, I'm more used to being on the other side. So this is, this is, um, interesting and, uh, uh, makes me anxious in a, in a good way, I think. And could you tell us about your book since you mentioned it? Oh, sure. Um, yeah, it's an essay collection. It's called Missing Time. Um, it's a series of essays that were, uh, that are kind of loosely framed by, um, the, the years that they were written, which is, um, like during the time of the Trump administration about kind of, um, reflecting on the threat of fascism and um, the kind of uh, return of uh, uh, of the left in the United States in light of um, kind of reflections on growing up at the so-called end of history in the 1990s. And can you go into that, that, that feeling of the end of history in the 1990s? Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, um, so I'm 37, and I think when I was growing up, the kind of narrative that was being very widely circulated was that, um, you know, uh, the in the post-Cold War period, there was essentially, that we were in a time of um, kind of liberal... American global hegemony that would last forever um, and that the kinds of um, contestation of that global order were kind of over and done for and could only be talked about in like more memorialized form um, and um, yeah, and I think that that consensus kind of, you know, has gradually given way over the past 20 years or so, but then I think it really, really started giving way, like, maybe, you know, five or six years ago. And um, who also influenced you to think about these things at that age? Uh, oh, like as a kid? Yeah. Who was... Um, that's a good question. I mean, um, well, I... One of the, the, so the title essay of the book is about um, the TV show, The X-Files, 
which was um, really huge for me when I was in middle school. Um, and the conceit of that essay was that that was that that show sort of gave me a, a very strange kind of political education. Um, and um, I think, yeah, that kind of um, world world of of um, conspiracy and that sense that, you know, there was actually something that there were kind of historical secrets that were um, lying underneath the world that we lived in, um, I think was very uh, kind of um, uh, enticing for me and um, an educational and again, like a funny way. But um, yeah, I don't know. I read a lot of this comes up also briefly in one of the essays, but I um, read a lot of like Jewish historical fiction as a kid that included kind of um, glimpses of like uh, the kind of Jewish socialist tradition, like in Eastern European in Eastern Europe and and um, and in New York mostly. And I was very taken with all of that. Could you cite any titles or pieces? Yeah, um, there's there's a book called Shosha by Isaac Bishop, a singer that I loved as a kid. Um, that's about like a communist young woman in Poland. Uh, there's the book called Davida's Harp by Chaim Potok that I also just was obsessed with when I was about ten. Um, about a communist girl growing up in Brooklyn. Um, yeah, what are some of the others? Um, were, were these, yeah. oh, sorry, were these books given to you by your parents or how did they? Um, yeah, they were just kind of like lying around. Like my family is not political, um, but they are very Jewish and there's, um, you know, Sometimes there's just politics that kind of seep through in actually like pretty mainstream canonical like middlebrow Jewish twentieth century literature that I really glommed onto. Much to much to their confusion. Right. And when you say very Jewish, what makes them very Jewish? Um they uh their community is extremely Jewish. They're um uh, I mean, they're, they belong to a conservative shul or they, they did belong to one until, um, it was, my dad was the music director there and then got sort of, uh, downsized out of a job. And after that, they, they've, you know, been kind of wandering from synagogue to synagogue ever since. But yeah, but they're conservative Jews. They, they don't think of themselves as religious because to them only Orthodox people are religious. But I think... A secular person would think of them as religious. Um, like their lives are very, very much organized around the Jewish calendar and uh, life cycle events, and you know, and the and the community. And to go back a little further, where was all this? This this is um, in the San Fernando Valley, um, 
in Los Angeles, uh, the neighborhood's called West Hills. It's like kind of the far, the far West Valley. And how did that influence you as a child to be brought up in a home like that? Um, I was, I think alternately really into my Jewish education and, and Jewish upbringing and, uh, and felt totally alienated and rebelled against it. Um, you know, I took it, um, uh, I was, you know, kind of nerdy, precocious kid and I, uh, I actually, you know, took it very seriously. I would like, um, you know, I would, I, I went through a phase when I was in like late elementary school where I would go to synagogue with my dad on Friday nights when, when he was playing the piano there and I would, you know, want to go and like debate the rabbi about his sermons afterward. Um, so I, you know, and I, I, yeah, I really wanted to think about all these questions and, um, uh, and I think it really shaped kind of an ethical framework, but it also was, um, not a particularly intellectual environment and definitely a pretty Zionist, um, environment, which I kind of reacted against like fairly, fairly early on. Um, and, um, uh, yeah, I think I, you know, was not an environment where it was particularly possible to be a queer kid and, um, yeah, I kind of dropped out of like organized Jewish life to the extent that I felt able to, um, by the time I was in probably like late middle school. Um, although I did keep going to this like a kind of in Hebrew intensive Hebrew school, like after school program, like all the way through high school, but you know, I would just complain about it. And when you say it helped form an ethical framework, could you speak more about that? Yeah, I think, um, I think my mom in particular is, um, uh, really for better and for worse, somebody who thinks a lot, has very strong opinions on what it means to be a good person. Um, I think she very much understands herself as a good person and, and as a kind of community hub. And I think she is a community hub in a lot of ways. Um, we have a huge extended family and my parents have like a ton of friends and my mom is very much at the center of many, many people's lives. And I think, um, you know, her own ideas about how people should be in the world and treat each other. Um, I think she, sees as very much rooted in kind of like Jewish values. And I think I picked up a lot of that from her, though again, also really rebelled against a lot of her reading of, you know, um, actually like how to live one's life. Um, and when you said that it was hard to f be a queer kid, can you, can you speak more about that? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, you know, it was just like a very suburban, um, kind of, I don't know, um, 
parochial, like, environment that, you know, that I went to Hebrew school in or, uh, you know, like, briefly, like, summer camp or youth group or whatever in, which actually was fairly different than, like, where I, I like, I always went to public school. Um, and my friends were... I mean, you know, I definitely had predominantly Jewish friends, um, even at school and, you know, and, and it's not like I wasn't around a ton of dudes there too, but, um, I, school was definitely more diverse, um, less, less wealthy. There was like more room for, you know, kind of personal and cultural experimentation. Um, so, you know, by middle school, uh... I, I don't know, I, I spent a lot of time in middle school announcing that I was bisexual and, you know, like, um, trying out different ways of expressing that and that felt, um, like it was allowed at school and like it was not allowed, it was just weird, uh, at Hebrew school. And so I think I just, you know, it just made me not want to be in that space really. Right. Um, and what was your first encounter with like a, the idea of a trans community or the trans people? That's a great question. Um, I think, um, I think the first people that made transness kind of real to me were like one kid that I didn't go to high school with, but some of my friends did, um, who was a trans mass kid who came out really young and really got like socially punished for it. Um, and then also, a small handful of kids and um, also mostly trans mask um, that I met like at the very beginning of college um, and other than that I think my images of transness were like extremely um, I don't know like both limited and just kind of um, sensationalized you know, like, I think, um, I don't think I had any concept of, I don't think I had a concept, really. I mean, I think, you know, I, like, I certainly had a idea of, like, drag queens, um, but I think the idea that, um, yeah, I don't think I really had any, any idea of, like, what kind of, um, like like what trans life actually looked like it was like I mean just back to like 90s cultural objects it was you know it was like Nathan Lane and the birdcage or something you know what I mean like it just yeah it was it, I think it was I think um I think queerness was like very it it wasn't um queerness was n n not necessarily considered like 
it wasn't totally like domesticated or like considered normal or something. Um, I think it was, it was the way it was or was not. Um, the way, the way queerness did or didn't feel available, I think was really complicated. Um, but transness, I think just almost didn't exist. Mm. Hmm. And how, um, I'm going to just pause. For yeah. Second. It's fine. I'm just out of shape. Hi, we're back. Okay. okay. Hello. Mm-hmm. So we were just talking about the lack of trans visibility mm-hmm. in many forms. Um, mm-hmm. I was wondering how you would describe your gender. Mm. Um, yeah, also a great question. I would say, um, I think I, I would say identify as, as, um, as trans masculine, um, and depending on what day you get me, I would say that I'm non, non-binary or I would not say that if I'm feeling, um, irritable about that particular um, turn of phrase and um, I think I um, also really still see it as being in motion Um, I've been I started transitioning three years ago is that right? Um, 2023, I started transitioning at the beginning of 2019, God, four years? That's crazy. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, um, it, it definitely still feels like a, like a process. Um, and so I think it is actually possible that I will wind up being um, uh, a little bit more in the middle of the gender spectrum and a little bit less on on the um, trans mask side of things at some point like I, I, I feel like in some ways I kind of overshot what I was going for and I'm now curious about um, kind of trying to I uh, got back to some kind of imaginary middle. So, yeah. How would you describe what the imaginary middle is? Um, I think I'm very attracted to the idea of, like, um, of, like, real androgyny. Um, like I think I think that actually going back to your question of trans representation or visibility, um, when I was a kid, I I think that like figures that um, were mostly not identified as trans at the time, but you know maybe would have been, um, uh, you know, in a different moment who were really influential to me were like, um, just kind of gender bending rock stars of like the 
60s and 70s, you know? Like, I just really loved um, Lou Reed and, like, Patti Smith and um, uh, David Bowie and, um, and loved the kind of shape-shiftingness of those kinds of gender performances and um, the kind of fuck you attitude built into them and uh, I don't know, the kind of like almost like, um, you know, continual transformation for its own sake or as a way of life and um, I think you know, I was like, like loved like Hedwig and the Angry Inch when I was in high school. Um, so I think there's um, in some ways a little bit of uh I don't know, like a, a an awkward fit between like uh, those images that, you know, are sort of buried very deep for me and then the actual like lived experience of just kind of having the opportunity to transition and going for it, um, where like I definitely didn't set out to um, you know, start passing as a man, um, that was never, that, that really, like, wasn't my horizon, and, um, it actually turns out it's a little bit tricky to kind of, I mean, you know, to, to, um, to get some of the things that, to get the things that you want, um, when you're on HRT, and not the things that you don't want, um, that might kind of push you into just being read differently, which also I realize is, you know, very different for different people. Um, but for me, I think like, you know, the, the thing for me that just kind of flipped the switch in terms of how I was read, um, was growing facial hair. And it's still something that I feel like extremely on the fence about. Um, it was not something that I wanted. It was something I was scared of. And then it started happening, and I actually really liked how it looked, and it was also happening in a moment when I was in a relationship with somebody who was into it, and who I felt like I was kind of, you know, collaborating with in the same way on figuring out what I, how I wanted to present. And, um, and that relationship ended later, and I think um, it feels a little bit like, I, yeah, it's raised the question for me of like, well, what do I actually want for myself? Um, and, um, you know, like, how do I feel about being like red as a man when I go into a bodega? Um, and... And I, it's just like, I just truly don't know the answer yet. Mm. And, um, in, okay, so I just want to do some establishing. So mm -hmm. you grew up in California mm -hmm. 
And then how did you get to New York? Um, I went to college near New York and spent a bunch of time in New York, like on breaks from school and also kind of always wanted to live here. And then I moved here right away after I graduated and have been here ever since. And where did you go? Uh, I went to Wesleyan, Connecticut. And how was that experience? (sighs) Mixed, um, like real culture shock, had no idea what, um, you know, East Coast private liberal arts college was going to be like, um, uh, yeah, felt, felt, I think, pretty overwhelmed by a lot of, you know, like the, the kinds of like wealth and cultural capital or whatever that I was encountering there, but also made like really wonderful friends. Um, and, um, I will say since this is the theme of the conversation, I think, um, gender wise, I think it was, um, like a really, really strange experience and, um, not necessarily a good one, though kind of an interesting one. Um, there were, do you want me to? Yeah, Okay. Um, I'm just free associating here. Um, yeah, it was such a strange time. It was like, so yeah, I started college in 2003. I graduated in 2007. So, um, like I said earlier, you know, I met, I mean, I think sort of tellingly, it was like the very first people that I met in college basically were like the trans kids. Like we just, I don't know, we just found each other right away. Um, but I, they did not actually wind up being my friends. Um, they were, um, they were really, really like, deep into, I don't know, a kind of identity politics and like, they, I mean, they were almost like, um, you know, like, like quasi-professionalized as trans kids, you know, like they, they were like on, I mean, I'm really talking about like, mostly like two people here. Um, but you know, it felt like a lot because I didn't know any trans kids before that. Um, but yeah, you know, it was like they were on like national boards of like trans youth organizations. Um, and you know, I think, um, and, and were like super involved in like fights on campus about, um, gender neutral bathroom accessibility and, just like, uh, I don't know, I think they took, I think the way I would say it is that I think that they took gender and their own genders seriously in a way that I found really unrelatable and like, like cringe or something. Um, and that I'm sure in retrospect, I was actually just terrified of and didn't realize that. And also just like it wasn't me like it just wasn't you know it was like there was obviously some reason that we met so early but like we kind of had nothing in common um and I didn't see I 
there were other kids that were like genderqueer um, who I think I also often didn't really feel like I connected to. Um, but it didn't feel, I mean, I think this is just one of the main differences between, you know, what college was like then and now. It's like, I mean, kids were experimenting with their sexuality constantly and publicly, um, but experimenting with your gender was just like not, wasn't really happening or, or, or it was happening in a totally different way. Um, like, I don't think, I was just saying this to a friend the other day, um, who I went to college with and um, who is actually just starting to transition like now. Um, and I think we, we were talking about how at the time um, we had no image of like what a kind of like trans mask identity or embodiment could be that wasn't related to being like butch. And which is not a way that either of us identify as at, at all. Like, I mean, I'm like, you know, very like fey and kind of faggy and like not, um, I don't know, like I have like a lot of feelings and um, I use a lot of emojis. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm not good at... Uh, I'm not particularly handy. You know, like, I'm just, like, not, but, like, I'm, like, um, I, I think I, like, kind of thought for a second that maybe I could be, but it was, like, that, like, that really, like, never got off the ground, you know? Like, there were, um, the, the dyke scene at my college was, like, very much organized around the rugby team, and I was, like, I could never like just t total disconnect. So, um, so yeah, I didn't really see a lot of, um, uh, options there. And what happened instead is I became like, you know, like a self-identified fag hag and, um, you know, like really surrounded myself with a lot of gay boys and tried to be kind of like, bitchy and um uh ironic in theatrical and in, in ways that felt like more you know um uh simpatico with my like gay boy scene and um and also I was like terribly resentful that I like couldn't actually be one of them you know and I was like in love with my gay best friend and you know felt and I literally um would say things like you know I was like cursed to be a woman because like really I'm a gay man but like that's just my cross to bear and it never occurred to me or you know to anyone that I said that to as far as I know that that might mean I was trans it it just was like, it was like metaphysical or something. Um, and, and it was happening partly because, or th those ways of articulating things was happening partly because of the education that I was getting. Because I was like really reading Eve Sedgwick, who, you know, um, 
famously identified as a gay man, but no one quite knows what that means, um, right? And she died in 2010 before a time when she would have presumably, like, started thinking through that in different terms. And, um, uh, you know, what I was really like reading this kind of like 90s queer theory canon um, that was um, very much about like transgression and about gender performance um, and its possibilities, but it really was not about transness. So I think I just felt, um, I think I felt very stuck and very, like, um, illegible to myself and kind of like I was just doing like a really complicated shtick. Um, and, you know, and, and then, um, and then after that, I just kind of became like a like a vaguely straight girl um because uh, you know because because it was the most available option um and you know but then continued to have a kind of gendered stick for a long time and um yeah and the idea of actually thinking about Thinking consciously about transitioning, I mean, there's obviously a million, you know, things that I remember saying or doing um, over the years that are like, okay, like, that's basically just saying that you want to transition. But but in terms of consciously thinking about it um, and actually starting to do it, I mean, that happened within the course of, like, literally, like, a month or something. It was like, well, anyway, that's a whole, that's another question. Sure. Um, yeah. But well, you can skip ahead if you feel. Um, well, if you want, no, if you have more scene setting, though, I can. Oh, um, sure. We could talk about your entry into New York and, yeah, how, how you met certain communities that might have helped bring new aspects of your identity forward. Yeah, totally. Um, so, um, I moved here in 2007 and um, I guess I would say I had like two queer communities that I was a part of. One was just like the world of um, friends from college or, you know, friends that I was meeting later um, who were again, like, mostly gay boys, some dykes, um, um, and who were, like, you know, really, like, building a kind of cute, like, Brooklyn queer world. Um, I had, there's a group of friends that I started going to, uh, we started taking these weekend trips every summer that uh, we called queer summer camp when I was like 25, but we're still doing it. Um, and, um, you know, like a kind of shifting group of people that um, actually like one really interesting thing, if, you know, 
if you were to kind of ethnographically track just this shifting friend group, it's like so many people, like there were no trans people in that group at the beginning and like half the core people in it started transitioning in their 30s. Um, actually, Jules, um, who I think you maybe wanted to interview as well, um, is like part of that group. Um, and yeah, a lot of um, yeah, a lot a lot of like like shift from like one kind of queer identity in our twenties to like a, like a like really pretty different one in our thirties. And can you um, name parts of why you think that was possible or able to happen? Yeah, I mean, I think like I think it really speaks to the way that. Um, that transness feels more available now. Um, and also, simultaneously, I think having a long-term group of queer friends made it feel really, like once it was kind of like more and more conceptually available, like taking the leap was, um, felt really possible because like other people you know were kind of doing it alongside you so yeah um yeah I think we all really like helped each other um like you know in with with close relationships in 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 close ways and with more distant relationships like it was like still really you know like just like knowing um that people that you had known for years, even if you weren't super tight with them, had like gone through this process um, and that they had done it, you know, a little bit older. Um, I think, yeah, for me, that was like a hugely like enabling thing. Um, so I think, so all of that was like one community for me. Although, you know, I'll say also like, I was really, dating men mostly and um and so also felt a little like like I was not fully living in a um in like a I don't think I felt like a like a full participant in 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 my own queer community even though I always felt very accepted within it and like a part of it, if that makes sense. Um, but I think I did feel like something was, I think I felt for a long time, like I didn't know how to be queer and that people were gradually figuring it out and that I kept getting stuck figuring it out. Um, and, um, and transitioning, I think, you know, was the thing that really changed that. Although questions remain. Um, and then the other queer community that I should mention is like, I had these much older lesbian friends um, actually through like uh, the lefty Jewish world. Um, Elisa Solomon and Marilyn Niemark and Esther Kaplan and Eve Sicular and other people in the scene around um, this radio show called Beyond the Pale that I was part of for a few years um, that 
for many years was kind of the only left Jewish anti-Zionist um, like media outlet. Um, and um, the people who started it had been ACT UP people. Um, and they, um, you know, they were like hugely, it's funny saying this, um, you know, for the public archives, cause like, I, I wonder if they even know how important they were to me in that way. Um, I think, I, I think they know how important they were to me as mentors and, uh, you know, in terms of kind of coming into like a left Jewish politics, but I don't know if they know they were also really important to me in terms of being like queer elders, but they, they really were. Um, and I think, yeah, that was like, um, you know, I think that there was like a, a, a seriousness, um, to their politics and the way that they thought about, um, like how queerness both was kind of like like integral to where they were coming from politically but also was not like the end point of where they were going politically that was just like so exciting for me to just like be in the midst of totally yeah I guess there's this question that sometimes is asked that's um, like what other aspects of, of your identity are important to you, which is kind of a part of that. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I mean, um, Jewishness is really important to me. Um, I think, interestingly, in the, the same moment that I started transitioning, I also... Um, took the job that I have now as an editor at Jewish Currents, which is a left Jewish magazine. And that actually really changed my relationship to Jewishness. I think I had felt, um, I think I had given up in a lot of ways on having like a, um, having sort of anywhere to go um, with Jewishness because I, um, was just so frustrated with the kind of political and cultural limits of the community as I saw it. And, you know, like, I mean, in a certain way, it was similar to kind of pre-transition trans feelings. It was like, you know, it kind of felt like a shtick or something um, that I was performing and performing like alongside other people and felt legible to some people, but like it wasn't, um, I didn't feel like it was really like uh, materially like, I don't know, like deep or something. Um, and then being part of the magazine really changed that. And I think the magazine itself has done a lot of work. Um, I think the, ma the magazine is, is, I think, trying really hard to, you know, kind of just, like, create a different kind of Jewish culture in the world. And um, 
and so being part of that has yeah has like really made that feel like way more available to me so I would say that's super important and like yeah like being on the left is very important to me um I do a lot of organizing work um could you talk about that sure um yeah I um uh, I do a lot of tenant organizing um I started doing it in a more committed way in um, really not that long ago. It's crazy because it, it became such a important part of my life. But um, yeah, in 2020, um, I coordinated a rent strike in my building uh, at the start of COVID when there were rent strikes all over the place. And I got really into it. And then now I'm pretty involved in Crown Heights Tenant Union, which is the tenant union in my neighborhood, um, and in another group that doesn't really have a name, but that um, has been meeting for like over a year now, um, that is doing a lot of strategizing about building a citywide tenant union. And um, uh, yeah, so that's. <coughs> excuse me, something I spend a lot of time doing and thinking about. Um, and I think, you know, being on the left just kind of guides the way that I think and move through the world in a lot of ways. <coughs> Is it present for you in any way being Crown Heights to kind of be kind of walking through the historical kind of like Jewish and black communities history there? Yes, hugely. Um, that is my <laughs> current obsession. Um, I really want to start um, putting together like a kind of like Black Jewish uh, tenant organizing caucus. Um, <coughs> and I've actually been talking to a lot of people about that in the last couple of months. Um, and think that that's something that might get off the ground like like fairly soon. Um, it's not something that really exists right now. Um, it's like, you know, it's it's something that desperately needs to exist. Um, and, but I do think that that's part of my attachment to Crown Heights that I've thought about a lot more recently is that like there it's just like a really strange and interesting place to be Jewish and to be a Jewish person who, you know, is uh, committed to stopping gentrification. And when you speak of, like, the Jewish left, are there um, more prominent issues that are on your mind these days? Um, you mean, like, what are the issues that, like, like, register for me, like, as, like, a Jewish leftist in particular. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, um, the Palestine Solidarity Movement is, like, very much at the, at the center of Jewish left politics, as I understand them, um, because of the way that Zionism, um, has been, you know, kind of posited as something that represents 
Jews and the diaspora and that um, that challenges to Zionism are tantamount to anti-Semitism. Um, it feels like there is um, a kind of um, obligation, I feel like, to, you know, to, to refuse that. And um, I think there's also, I mean, I, I think all of it is really inextricable from that, to be honest, but, um, but I think that there's um, a way that, like, the American Jewish community is, like, like in in its kind of you know most mainstream or like establishment forms, um, is is really very conservative and um, and and like really like much more kind of like right wing and isolated than the community itself necessarily realizes. Um, I think because of the way Israel Palestine politics have kind of um, skewed things. And, um, like, I think that, you know, I think I have family members, for instance, who use talking points that, like, would not be out of place on Fox News, even though they very much identify as, like, liberal Democrats. Um, but, you know, also, like, the Democratic Party is itself so much more conservative than it realizes, right? So, like, it's it's like it's it's kind of that. Um, um, yeah, I think that that I think those kinds of like misrecognitions within the community um, and trying to like create an alternative or or a challenge, um, yeah, just like feels really important. I guess in a broader way, how have you seen kind of like your interactions with like political or like organizing projects and the trans or queer community evolve over the years? Um, yeah. Um, wait, sorry to be dense here, but like, are like, is the question like how like trans politics and the and the the kind of like movement work that I'm organizing yeah. around are like coming together, or 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 you're thinking more like kind of next to each other. I know I asked two questions at once. No, I no, think, no. I guess you could say either or. Like if you yeah. feel like there's been a recognizable shift in totally. ways that perhaps they've crossed, or if one or the other feels more totally pre- present for you. And yeah, it's evolved. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, um, no, I think, I think part of the reason I'm struggling to answer the question is that it points to a gap for me, which is that in some ways they're not super connected. Um, and I would like them to be more connected. Um, like I think, um, I think in my organizing life, I feel very accepted as a trans person. I'm not the only trans person around. 
Um, I think actually one thing that has been cool is to be in relation to a lot of people who I'm like sometimes like the first trans person that they've met, just like, you know, like older neighbors. Um, and or like having, um, yeah, like getting to kind of be the the person who other people can like practice using they them pronouns with or whatever. Um, and feeling like, you know, I mean, I don't, I, I don't want to give myself any undue credit for this. I think this is for all kinds of reasons that have to do with everything from like being a white person to being a little bit older than, um, a lot of people are when they first start transitioning to just like, you know, um, I don't know my personality or something, but like I, um, you know, like there's that kind of like, there's that kind of attitude that exists of like, it's not my job to educate you. And that's like not, I don't feel, um, I don't identify with that at all. Like I like, I think, I think I'm like actually, I think I actually sort of enjoy educating people like, you know, like, and enjoy like, um, uh, yeah, like watching people like work through their own confusions or whatever. Um, maybe in part because it was really hard initially to transition, um, within my family and it feels, um, a lot lower stakes in some ways to kind of like do it, you know, like in the community of my neighborhood. Um, so yeah, so that's sort of like one answer. And then in terms of like, um, I don't know, like where, how like trans politics are changing um, in my, in my world, like, I don't know, I think they, um, I think, I think that, um, I think trans politics feel really different to me now than they did when I started transitioning four years ago and in ways that I'm still trying to wrap my head around. Um, and I don't quite know what else to say about that for the moment, so I'll stop there. Okay. Yeah, totally. Um, Well, I guess I'm looking at all these pretty main questions, and I, I guess I have some particular interests in... I got to know you through a talk you did online about the Talmud and mm -hmm. kind of GNC narratives, and I was wondering if you 
yeah, what your interests are in, in that vein, if that's something that feels interesting to talk about. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was the moderator for that conversation, and it was actually something I knew, like, nothing about, um, but was really excited by. Um, And, you know, because of this this book that came out last year called Trans Talmud, um, that, uh, you know, I was just really curious to check it out and to talk to the writer and, and the other guess that um, or part of that conversation just kind of about the idea of a trans archive um, but yeah I think that the I actually think I mean I know we've been talking about like both Jewishness and trans in this conversation but I actually um I think for me, the ways that Jewishness and transness relate to each other feels really different from that conversation. feels much more like it has to do with kind of like diaspora Jewish identity formations of like, you know, like the past... 50 or 60 years, whereas the Talmud is, you know, a whole other realm. Um, uh, but I do think that questions of the trans archive are super interesting, which is part of why it's so fun to be doing this conversation. Um, I think the way that um, yeah, I think it's really it, it's, it's really strange to be like participating in a kind of major shift around like the contours of um, of gender and the self and the body that like no, like none of us know where things are going to land um, and I think that that open-endedness is like um yeah sometimes it's really fun sometimes it's really overwhelming sometimes um uh sometimes I feel like I sort of check out from those questions altogether for some period of time because I'm just like living my life um and then kind of remember that like that that's something that I'm participating in um and like how like I don't know like what I how I am read in the world or like um I don't know like what my own kind of trans politics are like like in like I don't quite know how to say this but it's like it's like I'm in flux and and transness in the world is in flux and like and if I like if I like don't check back in to what that means for a while and then I come back to it sometimes I'm just like oh I don't even like 
I don't even know what I'm doing. Like what, like what is everything? I don't know if that makes any sense, but um, yeah, it's like a very, it's very strange and humbling. And um, uh, I've maybe one way of saying it too. This is something that Jules and I have talked about a bunch is that I think like, um, I think it's really hard to talk about transness outside the context of like um of aging and I think that I've experienced that in one particular way like as somebody who started transitioning in my 30s but I think that is also just true fundamentally like in the way that um the idea of transness and in fact the idea of gender itself um grew out of kids seeking um the means to transition um and ways that those kids were kind of used by the medical establishment um as like the basis for imagining like uh the body as a site of gender plasticity and uh inventing like the concept of like uh, like the way like the endocrine system uh like shapes the developing gendered body for teenagers and um and you know all of this stuff that like is now sort of very like hotly contested as the right um you know gets you know increasingly obsessed with trying to stop trans kids from transitioning um like like all of those questions are like in some way fundamentally about like the about bodies moving through time right like like what does it mean to stop a kid who is 11 and wants to take uh, puberty blockers versus like uh, letting a kid start transitioning who's already gone through puberty versus transitioning when you're older like it like at 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 every point it becomes a question of like are you sort of moving through the 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 you know the kind of like normative developmental stages in the way that you are being asked to um or are you able to kind of um exert some kind of like autonomy over um over that process by fucking with your hormones and with your gender expression and so i think um yeah i don't know um uh, yeah, all of that to me just feels like really, really connected to like the kind of like lived experience of doing this, if that makes any sense. Totally. Yeah. Um, are there other things you feel important to add to this, to this record? Um, hmm. Uh, maybe. I mean, I think, um, 
Yeah, I want to. I want to give actually like a complicated shout out to my friend Andrea, um, because she's like a trans public figure and also a really important person in my life, but somebody who I have like a really different trans experience from. Um, so Andrea Longchu, who, um, should I say who that is for yeah, sure. the, okay. Yeah. So, um, uh, cause I'm assuming that you know her work. Um, but yeah, Andrea Longchu, who, um, you know, is very brilliant essayist and critic and kind of public intellectual, um, uh, and who's a trans woman, um, years younger than me is somebody who I became really close with when um god she was like such a baby she was like 23 and I was maybe 30 um and or like a little older than that and um yeah she um she was actually like my first really close trans friend because this was like before some of my other friends started transitioning and before I, you know, met a lot of other trans people. Um, and she really, like, um, I, I think, I think initially just, like, having a lot of conversations with her um, about her own transition and um, and her own, like, frustrations with, the, you know, ways trans was being publicly articulated, um, was, like, really kind of brain-exploding for me, um, when I was still thinking of myself as a girl, and, um, uh, and then, and she was also really the person that encouraged me um when I started thinking about transitioning and really kind of like told me I could do it and um and I and the reason I wanted to mention her is um is that I actually think like I think the 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 thing that she really like put out into the world that um don't think had been kind of said publicly yet was like the possibility that like transition could be a site of all kinds of disappointment and ongoing dysphoria and um you know and and even like hopelessness and that that wouldn't make it any less legitimate. Um, and I think that I feel hugely complicated about that. Um, and that that's still something that I'm really contending with and that I think is like, um, I don't know, like for me, just like a huge question around like, what it means to be trans right now. Um, like I, 
I think I initially felt like, and I mean, I'm, I feel comfortable saying all of this publicly because, you know, I've had this conversation with her. Like, um, I think, I think in some ways it was like incredibly liberating and enabling actually to, um, to, to be given to understand that like, it was like allowed to want to inhabit a different gender, even if you weren't sure that you would be able to like do it in a way that felt um, successful all the time. Um, and, and the idea of kind of like reaching for something that you couldn't actually arrive at um, and that still being like worth doing, I think was just like so huge for me. Um, and I think at the same time that like, there's, at the same time, I really understand. And I think this is much truer now that I'm, you know, further into my own transition. I think I, I understand why there was a lot of resistance. Um, among a lot of trans readers to that idea um, and a sense that, you know, that that kind of pessimism was, like, actually, like, a dead end and, like, and, and, and rather than seeing it as giving permission, you know, seeing it as, like, um, just kind of, like, remaining trapped or something. And I think the thing that I would add for myself is that, like, in a certain way, I think, um, I think I am feeling uh, I, I think I think just in the in the particular moment in which we're speaking, I think I am feeling my own sense of pessimism or stuckness or um, uh, you know, even like hopelessness in some moments about um, the shape of my own gender and, uh, you know, kind of like wondering if I did it right um, or like <coughs> what I actually want. Um, but I think what's interesting is that unlike in Andrea's version, which is so much about kind of wanting to be a woman, and, um, and having a very clear image of what a woman is and finding that really difficult to reach. I think for me, um, <coughs> it actually goes back to a question that you asked earlier of like, what would it mean to really be in the middle? Um, and I think that that actually feels really hard to reach. Like uh, this sense of like overshooting or like in some way overshooting, but in other ways undershooting or whatever that is. Like, I think, um, I don't know, like that, like I, I actually think landing in a kind of indeterminate gender that feels good is like, is really hard. Um, and I think it feels important to me to say that because sometimes I think that the discourse around 
non-binariness or gender nonconformity is like itself really um, shot through with this kind of like uh, very like militant optimism or something like that that you know because that's saying like fuck you to the gender binary that that's the option where you know where it's important to like really feel good about where you are um because you're not trying for the thing that you can't have and i guess what i want to report is that i actually think it is it very possible to want a kind of indeterminacy and not feel like you're able to get it or not or or not get the one that you want and like and that feels just like i don't know it feels hugely complicated um uh both kind of like socially and medically and um yeah i think um yeah i just i just thought I would like add that to the archive here um but yeah I think that's all I have thank you so much yeah thank you so much this is really fun